From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Busy show today. A little later on, we're going to check in uh, on another NFL conversation as one of our experts from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager, will be in. We'll talk more about some of the big news of the day, which includes Julian Edelman walking away from the NFL and the immediate calls from uh, folks all over New England for Edelman to be a Hall of Famer. But three headlines right now. It's time for The Three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Uh, all weekend long, there was uh, UNLV news dropping in terms of commitments, the next stop. So to this point, Adam, there were uh, eight players in the transfer portal from TJ Alsberger's UNLV team. And uh, Devin Tillis was the one guy who made a decision. Uh, he had dropped down, I'd say, a little bit, although Cal Irvine is a, a freaking really good program, so nothing to be embarrassed about there, and it's an even better school, so good for Devin Tillis. Caleb Grill made his decision. Not shocking, unless you think following a coach three different times is a little weird, especially when he's let you down or didn't keep up his end of the bargain the first two times. Are you surprised that Caleb Grill is going to go back to Iowa State again? I'm actually not. I mean, I, I think when uh, when T.J. Otzelberger took the job at Iowa State, uh, somebody asked me who's the most likely player to go to Iowa State with him, and it was, to me, Caleb Grill. Um, obviously, he's got a connection there already, but, um, you know, I, I just thought it, it made sense. He's a, he's the kind of guy that uh, seems like he really, really embraces T.J. Otzelberger in a system, and Otzelberger has clearly shown faith in Caleb Grill. Uh, as a guy that he wants to have around. Uh, so I, I think this this move just made sense uh, for them to continue their their path together uh, at the college level. Um, I'm sure those other schools have contacted him and maybe even that interested him that he thought about, but he's familiar uh, with the campus there and the school there and uh, obviously familiar with the system that they'll be playing on the basketball court. So this seems like a, uh, a perfect match. Do you think he's a starter in the Big 12? I think he might be a starter at Iowa State. Right. I mean, Iowa State really wasn't a Big 12 team this year. Uh, but it also depends who else they bring in and, and, you know, what kind of recruiting they do, who is coming back. I know they had some guys in the portal too. So uh, we'll see how the roster shakes out. But I don't think he is. I, I actually think he's a he's a really a perfect, you know, sixth, sixth or seventh man. Uh, just coming off the bench, giving you energy. Uh, not just a pure spot-up shooter. He can be, and I think his shooting is going to improve even more. Uh, but he's he's an energy guy. You can go to the rim. He can you know get a steal, get a dunk for you. Uh, just bring that kind of uh, emotion and energy and passion that can bring off the bench, and I think that kind of works well for him. David Jenkins Jr. also decided uh, he is technically transferring up to a Power 5, just like Caleb Grill. He's going to be going to Utah following former Rebel assistant DeMarlo Slocum. Yeah, for sure, and and uh, joining, uh, you know, former Mountain West coach there as well um, in in Craig Smith. So I think I think this uh, you know, the Slocum tie is I think what got you know him to Utah for sure. Uh, but it's just kind of funny that you know a, a Mountain West coach goes and, and finds a way to get uh, David Jenkins, who I think will be a really good player, 
Uh, I, I, I thought he was a good player this year. I think he can be even better. Um, there was some disputing of the reporting about uh, where the relationship was between Otzelberger uh, and David Jenkins, uh, but I think there was something there. And I also believe that, you know, David Jenkins could have been a much better player if things were, you know, going a little bit more smoothly uh, for, you know, internally for that team. So I, I think he'll be a really good player. Uh, he's not going to be the, you know, all, all conference or the player of the year or anything, but I think he'd be a, a very, very impactful scorer and, and player for Utah. So he's not in over his head in the Pac-12? I don't think so at all, no. All right. Would Bryce Hamilton be in over his head if he goes to a Power 5? According to Jeff Borzello, the Rebels' leading scorer from a year ago, from this last season, uh, has been contacted by Kansas, USC, Oregon, Texas, New Mexico, uh, UConn, Illinois, Texas Tech, and Florida State, among others. Are you surprised that the interest is that intense? By the way, I laughed out Kentucky. <laughs> uh, I'm not, not surprised at all. Uh, Bryce Hamilton is a legitimate, you know, you know, near the top of the country type scorer. He can absolutely be that guy. And and there's not a whole lot of guys that can score at that level from, from all three levels, can get to the rim, has a really good mid-range game, can knock down a three for you. Uh, just a very consistent offensive player and not selfish uh, on the offensive end. I think he was asked to be a little bit selfish at times in, in the UNLV offense, but uh, not a selfish player. That doesn't surprise me at all. Only thing that kind of surprises me about this list, and – it's, it's a very minor surprise, but uh, I had heard quite a while ago that Bryce Hamilton to USC was done. And so right. I'm sure other schools heard the same thing. And I would, I would, I'm kind of surprised maybe a little bit that they would pursue him and, you know, go after him so heavily. Maybe they're not, maybe they're just making a phone call and doing their due diligence as they should. Uh, but if these schools are actively pursuing him, that's a little bit surprising that you're putting your eggs in that basket um, with the, not the knowledge necessarily, but the rumors at least that that's already a done deal and he's going there. Uh, I know that there, it was around the coaching community a little bit that, you know, that was going to happen. Uh, some comments that we got on this conversation on Bryce Hamilton on our Friday podcast, DC and the sunshine man, uh, Ricky, who's you know a pretty good local fan said bummer losing. This is Hamilton bummer losing a guy with no right hand. Can't won't play D scored majority of points when game was decided. <laughs> Isn't this the same stuff we dealt with with uh, Chamba Chachua too? Yep. Who cares? And, who cares? And, 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 and Tom Way, who flamed out, and Shakur, and Hardy. But I think this person is also basing their opinion on what happened with Hardy. Uh, the, the same person said the poor kid will go to a Power 5 and sit on the bench like Hardy. Uh, and then also said, aside from New Mexico, he won't play 15 minutes a game at any of those schools, to which the chat room and myself responded – Let's bet. Let's go. 15 minutes well, a game. I'll, I'll take that as an over-under. Average, average minutes per game at his next stop. All right. I mean, Amore Hardy also had some some down games for sure, but he was a pretty key contributor on a, a really good team that you know was in the tournament in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Well, the follow-up to all that is uh, whatever. Bryce is gone. If you don't want to be here, so be it. I don't understand the bitterness. I, I don't either. 
They they okay. fired the coach. The guy the guy committed to a coach. They got rid of him. He then recommitted himself, blossomed into a good player, a great player, with the next coach, and then that next coach, he bailed on him. Like, yeah. what do we what do we expect? I mean, how much faith can you have left? Like, I think Kevin Kruger is going to build a good program, but it, I don't, I don't think it's you know, it's it's probably a long shot that there's going to be a freaking grand slam next year, and they're going to make the tournament. Uh, if I likened it to, I don't know, I I forget who I do shows with anymore because we rotate so much, but. Um, I likened it to uh, MMA, and you know, you co- you still covered. I covered it a lot. You would you'd come across a fighter who was, you know, well into his career, but was like ready for the next step to superstardom, and you'd often hear like, "Hey, they have to move gyms because that's they kind of maxed out what they could do at that gym." And this is not to rip the upcoming roster with the Rebels, but you don't know what's on the roster. And yeah, Bryce Hamilton is going to benefit his pro aspirations and he's probably you know he's an outside shot of making the nba but he's going to be able to play professional basketball somewhere to sharpen his tools he probably is better off going somewhere where he's going to compete against high level players at every practice and there's nothing wrong with that like he gave he gave unlv what he could i i I don't i don't see how people can be pissed off about it i think all those things are true uh and i would throw in like as much as UNLV can be a power and has been a power in the past, it is still a, you know, not a power five conference. The games aren't in primetime television on the best channels. You got to go find them a little bit. Like you've got a chance after putting in a, you know, really respectable career at UNLV and a good career and, you know, contributing quite a bit to this campus and this community and this program and everything else, you've got a chance to finish off your career at a major conference school, you you gave the list. It's like the blue bloods of the blue bloods. You've got your chance to finish off at one of those schools, not only with a chance to really make a deep run in the tournament and showcase your skills there, but also for your games, every single game to be on primetime TV. Like There is something to that of like, okay, I've given it all to try to rebuild or help rebuild this program that I, that I committed to, and that's cool. But now you know I am running out of time. Maybe make a decision for yourself and be a little bit selfish. I'll tell you what, uh, when you start to get a full summary of what's out there in the transfer portal, my God. Uh, the <laughs> Athletic put together a list of the top 50. I think Bryce is 29th. Um, Marcus Carr from Minnesota is top five. Um, I think Bryce can be every bit as impactful as Carr can. And I also I think Bryce plays a smarter brand of basketball. That was my biggest thing watching Carr. Man, he play, there, there are minute, minutes at a time where he just – he played the Gophers out of games. Just yeah, out of people. So, so Bryce has the 29th most impactful uh, high school senior left or person in the transfer portal. I think is he that's underrating him severely. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's a that's a pretty high number. It's a pretty lofty number, but it is still underrated, I think. And I just want to, I do want to just go back and clarify, like when I say be a little bit selfish, that was not in a bad way. I just mean think about yourself and you know do something for yourself. Um, I, I didn't want that word to be uh, kind of used in that way. But, yeah, I, I think um, Bryce Hamilton is a guy that a lot, of, a lot of teams want, and I think we'll have a really, really good season next year. Coming up next, a little more on uh, UNLV football this time around. I uh, got a chance on Saturday to get out there and uh, talk to Marcus Arroyo a little bit. He's the football coach, talked about some new faces around the facility, around spring practice, and also how he looks at what's going on in the transfer portal in basketball where it's exploded. It's – 
it's getting there in football. There's a lot of players on the move, and UNLV took advantage of some of those players coming out of the Pac-12 and, you know, hauling in guys from USC and Arizona and Oregon. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. A thunderbolt from Bridges. That was a good call. Did you see that dunk? Uh, yeah, I did. That was insane. That's uh, one of the closest things I've seen to the Tom Chambers dunk. <laughs> Remember that one? It was a two-hander. Chambers six ten. Puts a knee, if I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, into the chest of the defender and almost gets lifted higher and suspend he is like suspended in the air. Looks like his his face is at the rim as he throws it down. And this this Bridges dunk was a, a hard drive from like the uh, you know the the left side, and he hits the defender and and right then he's throwing his arm back, and it actually looked like he because a lot of times you'll get you'll get those like crazy dunks where a player will have this exaggerated motion and they'll really wind up just throwing it into the rim. And this actually looked like he got all the way through and hit the rim and was able to dunk it, which was nuts. Yeah, it, that was the key to it is that, you know, it, it was – he came from far out. The The jump, the leap was obviously unbelievable, but it was the how far he pulled the ball back in his right hand and cocked it there and then just exploded to the rim. It was, it was just – it was filthy – and I was actually laughing. I, I, I think I texted, uh, you might have been in the group text too, with uh, JVT who watches like every Hornets game, but I don't think he was watching this game. And I was like, the one Hornets game you decide not to watch or that you can't watch, and this happens. It was it was, it was was sick. Uh, yeah, I saw that on the thread, and I was like, what is he talking about? And then, you know, yesterday I saw the highlight. I was like, holy crap, that was a ridiculous dunk. So over the weekend on Saturday, uh, UNLV is holding practices on Saturday and Tuesday and Thursday and Marcus Arroyo was made available to the media. And, you know, one thing that is uh, completely recognizable, the fact that there are a lot of holdovers, super seniors, as, as we'll call them. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because Marcus Arroyo has really been harping on the last year or so, and especially, again, this spring, about culture and about changing work habits. And sometimes that means, hey, the guys who were here before, they don't get to stay around. You just want to wipe the slate clean. You recommend to them, you know, you're better off going somewhere else. So I talked to uh, Marcus Arroyo about those super seniors. What did you need to hear from the super seniors to buy into them coming back? That they wanted to be here, that they want to make a difference, that they're interested in doing things a different way. They're not letting their ego get in the way, um, that, they're, that they're team formatted. You know, I think that any opportunity you've got um, to give guys that right to be part of something and, and their hearts in it, I think that's our job to do. And I think that a few guys, you know, like Julio and guys like that are guys that um, – I've earned the right to be part of that stuff, and 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 we're excited about that. So, talking about Julio Garcia, there, one of the offensive linemen. So, another face, Adam, that's been around the facility is Tyleek Collins. Tyleek put his name in the transfer portal a couple of months back, and that was kind of a bummer. You know, he's a uh, he's still a, an option. Um, you know, in this program, they've got some good receivers they're developing, especially Kyle Williams, a freshman from last year. But 
you know, uh, Collins is a guy who's extremely fast, uh, strong for his size at 5'9", you know, 190, had a really good freshman year with 31 catches and 422 yards and six touchdowns, and you're like, wow, he's leaving, huh? Well, he's back around, and uh, I asked, uh, hey, what's going on with Tyleek, or is he – is he going to be allowed back to the program? What's happening here? Some guys in, in, at this age, they'll make decisions that uh, I think that uh, I have. To, I think some coaches can have to check their egos too, you know. And uh, I'm not afraid to do that. I think some guys at their at our age, um, at our age, not my age, at that age, haven't been at that age. You make decisions that sometimes um, maybe not in your own best interest. You know, maybe sometimes you hear you listen to the wrong people, and I think those deserve second chances, uh, particularly in instances where you sat down and really got to know each other and take time to understand why you think you can help a young man. So, um, you know, we may have some guys that decided to go another way who decided to come back, and, and I, I'm a, I believe in second chances, especially if they're done the right way. All right, we'll try to get the rest of the names. So he's making it clear there that Tyleek has a chance to work himself back into the program, and maybe there's some other guys who entered the transfer portal, who didn't land anywhere, uh, hadn't made a decision yet, and they may be welcome back if everything is copacetic in terms of coming back. Uh, one last thing I talked to Marcus Arroyo about was just a transfer portal in general. So they've got a running back from Oregon. They've got a D-tackle from USC. They've got an edge rusher from Arizona. So they're using the transfer portal. There's no doubt about it. And I got into it, uh, you know, with uh, Arroyo about the transfer portal and just how big it can become. We see how big it is in, in basketball. How big can it become in football? I've lost a little bit of sight of the, of the portal for basketball, albeit the fact that I know it's huge and it's chaos. Um, all I can do is relate it to what we have in our portal, and I know that that, that right now is a big part of our um, a big part of the world we live in. And so I think you got to be careful of just blowing it off and saying it's not a piece of what you have to do. Um, we've implemented pieces of our thought process and our roster management that absolutely embrace the fact that that's available and there. And I don't think avoiding it or going about it and saying, you know, it's not going to work is, is going to be something we're going to do. I think that there's a opportunity there to, to really look into it and turn it over and do the dirty work and, 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 and really get into it. We've obviously feel like we've had a little bit of success in there and, we're not afraid to go through it the right way and, and do the right evaluation on it. So I think I can't speak for basketball, but it's in our world we live in, and, and we're going to do our best to, to, to use that to our advantage. There are, uh, there are basketball programs that are turning over like half their roster. You know, Eric Musselman in Arkansas, that's kind of his thing now. You know, it looks like yeah. he's going to turn over his roster. Could you ever see a day where football programs are you know, bringing in 15, 17 guys from the transfer portal every year? Could you build a program like that? I mean, I, I think you probably could. I, I, it all depends, I think, on on you know the the what you probably have already at home you know i think that the fact of the matter is if we went out and signed a whole new roster of guys and you, you're willing to play with those guys and, and have them be true freshmen and regardless of their age or you got two years or three years in them as long as your roster management says in two years you got to fill some holes instead of four years then i think that may be part of someone's program i, I can't speak for everybody else but that's how we see it it's, it's going to be an opportunity for us to gauge the uh but the likelihood for them to give us an, a, an advantage over the course of that time span we've got with them. But um, the one thing that is sticking out that a lot of a lot of people don't know or may not know, um, I don't want to assume they don't, is that the transfer right now ability for players to leave your program automatically and be eligible right now, and then you get a guy from the portal who can't once he gets here, there's an opportunity there that a lot of coaches, I think, are, are keeping kind of under the rug and that that person now can't transfer. So if I go get a portal guy who's got four years left and he gets here, I've got a freshman who can't leave. 
regardless. I mean, we've lost, you know, a couple guys to transfer stuff. We lost a freshman and, and so forth that, that hadn't played down, but he's going to go to a power five school. It's just, I think there's some things there that are uh, above my pay grade and we're making those regulations, but I think it's something that we won't turn a blind eye to in, in the landscape and everything, especially recruiting, not here. What do you think, Adam? Transfer portal bumping up to like bringing in, you know, 10 or 12 guys a year. I, I mean, it is, it, it does make sense what he's saying. I, I think what you have to do is find guys that are massive upgrades at certain positions uh, to make that work. Cause if, if all things being considered in football, you want guys that have been there that know the system that are ready, you know, that have, that have been in your weight room, that have been in your uh, classrooms that, you know, that understand what the program is trying to do. Like football, you kind of need that more than you do in basketball. Uh, but it's true. I mean, if you've got, you know, super talented players at certain positions that you can bring in, it definitely upgrades your talent and bolsters your roster and everything else. Uh, it's just, I just think it's more difficult in football to do a run a program the way that Musselman did or that Musselman does and that you're turning over that many players. Like it's, it's so hard to get up to speed in, in football. And that's a difference. And that's why I said it that way. It's, you know, it, it is different. You know, could there be a day where you're, you're bringing in, you know, 15 or 17 guys, it's it, guys, it seems a little far-fetched. But the, the players they did bring in, so they've got a wide receiver from Indiana. We'll get into him more um, in future conversations with Arroyo. We'll have some audio tomorrow of the assistants talking about some of the guys who came in from the Pac-12. Uh, and I think even Arroyo talked about it. So we'll talk more about Javon Wilson, who's a bigger back from Oregon. Uh, he's in. And then, of course, there's the defensive infusion. Uh, you've got one dude in from USC who's you know, 6'7", 270 pounds. Now, finding him the right position – and probably playing him inside and, you know, and then having the drive to play inside. Cause that was a kid uh, who was actually offered by Alabama coming out of high school. Um, so he's been a little underwhelming at USC. Uh, Wilborn, the edge rusher from Arizona was unbelievable his freshman year. Now I don't know what happened since, but he's landed here. And uh, one of the things I did notice, they, the coaches were saying is that he came in from the get go pretty early on. And there was a vibe about him already as a leader, which is a good thing. I mean, I, you hope, because transfers can go, you know, different ways. They can come in and they maybe they have the same bad habits they had at the last stop that, you know, where it didn't work out at the last stop, but maybe it's the wake-up call they need. Like, hey, this is it. Like, I got to come in. I got to earn respect immediately. I got to do my work. And I got to make sure I get on the freaking field to take advantage of this final opportunity. So we'll have some more updates on UNLV football throughout the week. Up next, we go to the NFL. Eric Eager, pro football focus, and we'll get his take on uh, Julian Edelman, who apparently is – retiring and we'll ask him if edelman is a hall of famer finley toyota they'll do anything to sell you a car no toyota problem is too tough too large or too small keep your toyota running like a toyota it's Cofield and company live from the finley toyota studio on espn las vegas all right let's get into uh, more nfl news as uh, eric eager joins us every week from pro football focus and he's with us here on this Monday. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. It's, uh, the Julian Edelman is the Hall of Fame discussion is lighting Twitter up right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand why these things happen, but I, I don't know, man. I, I don't see Edelman as a Hall of Famer. I think it's your entire career. He had, obviously, a key role in the playoffs with the Patriots and you know getting them all those Super Bowls. Uh, as a regular season receiver, solid, not spectacular, and in the playoffs, the numbers are big with receptions and yards, but actually only scored five touchdowns uh, over the course of, what, 10 years in the playoffs. Is he all a famer? Uh, no. I mean, he didn't even have 
better numbers than Wes Welker, right? And, uh, you know, Wes Welker was unlucky because he joined the Patriots during a time where he didn't win any Super Bowls, and, you know, that, that kind of clouds everything, of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Julian Edelman's numbers are, like, similar to Jake Reed, the former Vikings receiver, uh, who left after Randy Moss was drafted. It, it You know, obviously, like, if you're a Giants fan and you love Eli Manning, like, you know, uh, you know, all the better to you. If you're a Pats fan and you love the memories with Julian Edelman, all the more. I'm, you know, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Like, I have very fond memories of Sammy Watkins. You know, because of his playoff run last year, I, I, I have no. I, I'm not going to sit here and pound the table for him to be in like the Chiefs Ring of Honor or even considered a good player. Like, you're. It, I, I think obviously these players come up big and there's great memories of them. That doesn't mean we should put them in the Hall of Fame. So my hot take coming out of that is Jake Reed, Hall of Famer? I mean, Jake was a really good receiver. I grew up in Minnesota when he was playing there, and he, I think, one of the more underrated players in league history, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, obviously kidding for those that picked that up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, love, I do love the conversation. I know that people are pointing out the, uh, you know, what's second all-time in postseason yards. But, like, you can't pick and choose and, like, just decide, like, oh, here's one stat that I found. He's clearly in the Hall of Fame because of this one stat. It's everything that a player does, right? Yeah, it has to be. And, you know, obviously, you know, team success, uh, you know, is a big deal. I think it matters more if you're a quarterback than if you're not. Um, and obviously big moments matter. But, you know, you have to you have to come with the statistics. And we're living in one of the – the pat, most pass happy, you know, uh, you know, situations in league history, and so even in those situations, like his numbers aren't that great. Um, and you know, you play, let's say, you win the Super Bowl every year, you play 16 regular season games, and at most four playoff games. You know, that's you know, carry the two. That's 20 percent of your season. So if he's 20 percent, you know, if he's the best in 20 percent of the season, is he really a Hall of Famer? So uh, we we talk a lot about a lot of the same things every week in terms of the draft, but like news changes and you know the storylines change, and it does sound like as much as we've talked about this third pick, and none I, I don't think anybody that I talk to is really convinced about Mac Jones at three. Now all of a sudden the, the storylines out there. Well, Mac Jones isn't a lock at three. I, I never thought he was. Are the Forty ers changing their mind, or is the storyline just changing? I think that was never something to begin with. Like I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I know George and I talked about it on our show, the PFF forecast. But you know, I, I drove to a couple <laughs> states yesterday and put down a significant amount on Fields plus two fifty to be that pick. I don't even know if Fields is going to be the pick, but to get him, you know, that's like a thirty percent imply, you know, break even probability. The idea that you could get Justin Fields, basically, what you know, let's say you didn't know anything. And Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance were all equally thought of. That's 33% for Fields. They were offering, you know, better odds than that. Uh, just, you know, recently now it's plus 175, I believe, which is obviously a good sign. But, you know, it never made any sense for a few reasons. I think one of them was, if people remember back to the Trent Baalke days and the, um, you know, the Jim Harbaugh and then the uh, Jim Tom Sulet uh, and then the uh, Chip Kelly days, it was like those times were marred with, leaks and like dysfunction in the 49ers uh front office and then all of a sudden they hired john lynch none of us knew none of the other candidates knew that john lynch was interviewing and that was because one of the tests he wanted for san francisco was for them to show that they wouldn't leak information 
Um, and, you know, and I can tell you as somebody who consults and talks to a lot of people within the league, I'll just message my friends and be like, you know, hey, who are you guys taking? He's like, I have no clue. Like, you know, these lower-level people, which are probably the sources for some of these, at best, the sources for some of these uh, informational pieces that are coming out um, from the Schefters and, and, like, are coming from very unreliable sources. And I would say the Niners specifically where, you know, Lynch and Shanahan, if they know who they're taking, they're not telling anybody. That's the nature of the beast. We didn't know that they were trading for Jimmy G until it happened. We didn't know that they were trading DeForest Buckner until it happened. So um, the the Mac Jones at minus 305 made zero sense. The uh, I was just reading a headline uh, just now uh, that popped up on my timeline that said, uh, Trey Lance is the biggest mystery man of the draft. There are, quote, a lot of questions about him. Uh how many questions do you have as we get closer and closer? We've talked about him quite a bit, but how many questions do you have about his long-term ability in the NFL? Well, I, I think he's a different prospect um, than some of these other guys in the sense that I very, I think that he has to sit maybe that first year. Uh, and he's uber talented. I kind of think of him physically as like a Justin Herbert type, um, which obviously played really well in year one for the Chargers and Herbert. Um, but yeah, obviously I think he'd be best served if he's sad. If I'm the Denver Broncos, and, you know, I'm sitting on a bunch of talented players who are all on rookie deals, and I want that quarterback to succeed right away. Mac Jones might be the player, even though Mac Jones doesn't have the ceiling, I think, that Trey Lance has just because of the physical ability. But Trey Lance could flame out right away due to, you know, only starting one game uh, at the, or sorry, one season at the FCS level. He only threw 22 passes when trailing that entire season. So we really don't have a ton of information other than the traits, but, you know, game film matters a lot more, I think, than traits do. So to me, like, he is a mystery person. I do think he'll go in the top ten, and I think he will he has a chance to be a good NFL player. I have him a notch below even even the, the Mac Joneses of the world, though, just because uh, of the noisiness in his day to having only played one season at uh, a level below FBS. I'm going to throw something out there just because I, I got some questions from people uh, yesterday, um, and I was trying to answer it, but I want I want you to try to answer this. So we're talking about a guy like Deontay Brown who's an offensive lineman, not really a you know first-round pick type guy, just a massive offensive lineman at Alabama who never gave up a sack during his career at Alabama, but his pass-protecting grades are not that great, and the NFL has some questions about his ability to pass-protect. Like, And somebody said, how could you have a low pass-protecting grade if you never gave up a sack? And, and I was trying to explain that, but I feel like you could probably do that better than I would. Uh, so I wanted to uh, to let you do that now. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is when you look at um, pass rushing stats, a lot of them are pretty noisy, and a lot of them are, um, you know, there, there are gradations of reliability. So, for example, the year that Vic Beasley had 16 sacks for the Falcons, he was a middle-of-the-pack pass rusher. He just got a lot of cleanup sacks. He got a lot of sacks where he was the looper and a stunt, a bunch of things that aren't repeatable year-to-year if you're not in good game scripts. And so he had a bad grade. Everybody in Atlanta gave us crap for it. And eventually, I don't think Beasley's gotten 16 sacks since that season. Um, and, and so the opposite is true, right? If you play in an offense where the quarterback gets rid of the ball quickly, you might never give up a sack. You might get beaten a lot, and that's really what the grade's reflecting. But you might luck out and not give up a sack. And so – I think a rule of thumb is you look year to year, the number of pressures you allow or pressures you generate if you're a defensive player is about two to three times more reliable 
as a metric year to year than the sacks you give up or generate. So, uh, you know, it's, it's actually easier to predict a player's sacks year to year if you have their pressures than if you have their sacks, which is sort of, again, it's a, this whole idea of process over results. So that, that's kind of the idea. Not giving up a sack is a really cool thing, but when you look further, if you're getting beat all the time but your quarterback's getting rid of the ball, that's not necessarily a skill you, you've necessarily demonstrated. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. Great job explaining that. I'm glad uh, that I asked that because it was so much better than I was trying to explain it. It's the same concept I'm, I'm, I was trying to explain. I was going to say I'm glad too because I think that would have been a disaster if you had tried to do it. Yeah, well, exactly. That's uh, that was my point. Uh, Eric, is there is there a guy uh, that that you've seen that you that you really like, or, or a guy or a couple of guys that people are just kind of missing when you look through the mock drafts? You're like, how how are people missing how good this guy could be? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. The one I like, and I think it's because he's I think rightly overshadowed by Micah Parsons and how good he is, is Jeremiah Usukoromora of Notre Dame. Uh, I think he's kind of the modern linebacker. He's that linebacker that when you're trying to play a defense where the other team try, like let's say you're facing the Las Vegas Raiders and you try to spread them out, you'll put all five receivers in a pattern and you get, you get unlucky as a defensive coordinator. You get matched up Darren Waller against your linebacker. If that linebacker is Nick Kwiatkowski, you're kind of screwed. Or if that linebacker back in the day, if you're the Raiders, like was Curtis Lofton, like, you might as well shut the door on stopping the offense. But if he's an athlete like uh, Jeremiah Wusukomora, he can actually stay with him and be a representative player in coverage. He doesn't get killed in the run game either, which is increasingly less important, but certainly something that you have to care about. So that's one that I really like, um, you know, at, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, this is a weird year for defense right now. The prop, I believe, is 14-and-a-half defenders in the first round, I would even go under that just because I do think you're going to see seven or more offensive linemen in the first round. Uh, well, let's, let's close things out by going the other way. Is there is there a guy that's being projected high, that's being mocked high, uh, that you know people seem to be in love with that you just maybe don't see it? Yeah, so I, there was an addition of looking at linebackers, and, and Jamin Davis, who's now, I think, believe a favorite to go in the first round out of Kentucky, a very athletic, very, you know, a uh, toolsy linebacker. Um, my comps for him look like Alec Ogletree, which, you know, Alec Ogletree had a nice name. He was a second round pick of the St. Louis Rams, and he had a, a longish career in the NFL, but it was never a good football player and very athletic. But, you know, the problem with athletic linebackers is if they're wrong, they're further out of the play than, than they were <laughs> to begin. And, and, and to me, he seems like that one that teams are going to draft. He's kind of like the Patrick Murray era. That, that's just going to. Kenneth Murray, and they're going to not like that pick. That pick's going to be a – even Patrick Queen last year was somebody who uh, I think Baltimore might want that pick back. Uh, linebackers high are really tough, you know, uh, gambles. And if a guy is really athletic but hasn't necessarily shown it on the field, I'm passing there. Eric Eagers with us. Uh, Eric, let's close out where we started. You were talking about getting bets down. Where exactly are you, and then what states were you driving to? What were you trying to find books that uh, would take money uh, right now on draft positions? Where the hell did you drive? Well, so I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, so I was able to get bets down at times this past weekend in Pennsylvania and Indiana. Indiana oh, wow. was yesterday, um, and that was, you know, my, my uh, podcast partner and I were 
he's a Niners fan. I think part of it's emotional too. Um, but he, like both of us saw that 250 number with Fields and thought it was you know uh, really good. We've also gotten a lot of good bets down already. So we had uh, Zach Wilson number two pick when it was basically even money, and now it's like minus two thousand. So like we're kind of playing. Huh. We think we are playing with houses money. Uh, right now, obviously, if it goes Fields Wilson, we're going to be homeless. But like that, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at now is is sort of trying to pick them off. I don't think there's a ton of value left on the board right now. Um, the information we're sort of saturated with it. The markets are moving relatively quickly. But that was the last one I think that I was going to put big money on. What's the best guess at when Ohio actually has live gambling? Oh man. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're not as puritanical as some of these places like Texas. So, like, yeah. it might be a year or so from now. But, um, I mean, if Mike Pence's Indiana can get gambling, anybody can do it, I think. There you go. All right, Eric, uh, what do you guys have cooking next week? It's a big week, draft week at uh, Pro Football Focus. If we have Thomas Dimitrov on our podcast, the former GM of the Falcons, it's going to be Wednesday. Um, and then we have the, the draft show coming up on the, the 29th. We're going to, well, we're going to all three days of the draft. We're going to uh, former defensive back Darius Butler, uh, as well as some other guests, including I think our boss Chris Collinsworth. So it's going to be a fun time. I'm, I'm really excited. This is sort of the Super Bowl of the spring, it feels like, increasingly every year. No doubt. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on, guys. There he is, Eric Eager, expert from Pro Football Focus, and their draft coverage is unmatched, and uh, you know so much of that is already out there, but next week's going to be a big week. Pro Football Focus, PFF.com. Get up there and buy one of those subscriptions. Uh, very inexpensive for the year, and we're all signed up. It's uh, integral to being an informed NFL and college football fan. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You're listening to Cofield and Company. Live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on towards the second half of the program. We're going to talk to uh, Barry Melrose. Yeah, let's do it. Trade deadline. Rest of the way in the NHL, Adam Hill and uh, Barry Melrose going back and forth on hockey. Don't fight, Adam. <laughs> don't fight. I know you get very intense about the Golden Knights. And don't bring up Leonard and Flurry, please. Please don't do it. Uh, you may be in a fighting mood because I heard you got knocked around a little bit. Uh, usually just an innocent bystander. You don't stir the pot. You don't do any of that stuff when it comes to MMA and, and UFC, but uh, were you getting it back a little bit for trying to be – I'm not even going to say you're a – well, might have been a smart-alecky move. You are, you're fascinated by Mackenzie Dern and her upbringing and kind of the way she is now? Is that a good way I, to put I mean, it? I, I am, but, like, it's, it's a, it is a weird thing. And, and it's a weird thing that MMA fans are obsessed with. Um, Mackenzie Dern, I'll just, I'll fill in the backstory. One of the great, uh, probably the most accomplished jujitsu female in UFC history, maybe the most accomplished, uh, jujitsu practitioner ever to enter the UFC. Uh, she is from Phoenix, Arizona, lives in Orange County. Uh, she is absolutely Brazilian. Her dad's Brazilian. Her husband's Brazilian. She's been to Brazil many times, speaks fluent Portuguese, uh, She's Brazilian. There's no question. Um, but it's been a like an ongoing debate among uh, MMA fans that if you watch videos of Mackenzie Dern when she's like 17, 18 years old, winning jiu-jitsu world titles, she sounds like she's on the movie Clueless, like she's a valley girl. And if you listen to her now, 
she sounds like English is her second language and has a very strong Portuguese accent. So that's the backstory of Mackenzie Dern. I'm like I, that stuff's all like kind of silly and goofy, whatever on the periphery. But my issue was on the UFC broadcast on Saturday, they referred to her as being from Brazil. Now that's factually incorrect. She's Brazilian. And she's very tied in with the culture and everything else. And, and I, there's zero problem with that. When she comes out, she brings a Brazilian flag. She represents Brazil. All that is fine. But the broadcast said she's from Brazil, which I had a problem from a grammatical perspective, as the word from, and also just from a factual perspective of the broadcast. And I, I made a comment about it on Twitter. I said the broadcast opens up with a description of Mackenzie Dirt as, quote, from Brazil, which is an interesting way to describe someone who was born in Phoenix and now lives in California. And I I was just going after the factual nature of this. Apparently, it created quite a firestorm. One of the reporters from Brazil uh, kind of went back at me and was like, you, do you have a problem with how people identify with their heritage or culture? I was like, no, not at all. She's Brazilian. She's just not from Brazil. Like, that's a factual problem. And I, I actually said, as a journalist, you should have as big a problem as, with this as I do. And we kind of went back and forth, and then we went uh, back and forth on uh, on text as well. And <laughs> at one point, at one point, she was like, she tweeted out, she said, okay, listen, I understand what Adam was saying. This is a factual issue, not a cultural heritage issue. It's We're good. But apparently the rest of Brazil didn't see that tweet. And it's been a, when I say it's been a nightmare, it has been a nightmare. My phone will not stop. It won't, like, right, okay, as I've been talking right now, this has been going on for over 48 hours. I've had seven more notifications while we're doing this this discussion. And it will not stop. And I, I don't, I don't understand, like, I thought it was dead after she tweeted out the, Hey, I get what he's saying now. We're cool, but it hasn't. But now it's also now people are going back at that reporter and saying awful things to her, and I'm tagged on all those as well. I'm like, okay, can we just can we just let this die? Like, I love social media controversy and silliness, but I don't like when people misinterpret and then attack the misinterpretation. Uh, that that really frustrates me. But that has been going on well over 48 hours now, and I'm nice. I'm over it. Are you? You look thrilled. You sound. I'm not thrilled. thrilled. You're giddy. It's this is funny. exactly what. You're, this is exactly your goal. No, no, it is like for a day. Oh, like, like, it goes on for a day. All right. Like enough of this. Let's move on to new things on Twitter. Uh, but there were there was definitely threats of oh you're getting fired you need to be canceled, like okay first of all uh, that's all stupid. I wasn't because they're saying they're saying I'm attacking her heritage. Not what I'm doing. I'm attacking the use of the word from. She's objectively and factually not from Brazil. She's Brazilian, not from Brazil. Well, I could do this, keep going with the scintillating conversation for like another 20 minutes, but I think I'll, I'll move along. I do have some follow-ups. We'll, we'll have to do it. You can look at it on Twitter. Uh, you and John Von Tobel can, uh, can do it tonight on the podcast. Smarter Than You podcast goes down. At 10.30, 4 o'clock hours on the way. We'll have some more uh, UFC a little later on, getting some updates on uh, future fights, including Conor McGregor saying that he's now out of his big rematch. Okay. 
Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.